women have a unique role in creation. Women are the nurturers, the birth givers, the more spiritual of the genders. And Torah teaches that women have a special status. Join Mashi Lipska for the next hour as she expounds the Torah wisdom specific to women. Only on 101.9 High FM. Gutner, Shabbos, Yantif. Wow, we are climbing. The journey continued. And now we are in a state of simcha, of joy. It began more than 40 days ago, 44 days ago. It began with the preparation in the month of Elul. The 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu was up on the mountain to receive the second set of tablets. It continued through the preparation in the month of Elul and the first ten days of the month of Tishrei. This is a season indeed that covers the entire spectrum of a human being and prepares us for the year ahead. Who are we? We obviously are a conglomerate of so many feelings and expressions, but those things are external. We are essentially a soul of God. Nevertheless, he put us down into the world that he created with countless details. We are complex. The world is complex. And our work our work is to refine both ourselves and the world. Our work is to work in the world and the emphasis on the word work. It isn't easy, but it's extremely, extremely gratifying. So those first 40 days are days of introspection. Those are days of what we call teshuva. What is teshuva? Teshuva is really discovering who you are and perfecting, going within and doing what you can to absolutely come to grips with why am I in the world? Who am I? What is my relationship with Hashem and everything that he brings into my life? However, the process of teshuva doesn't happen on its own in a cave on a mountain. It's teshuva, tefillah, tzedakah. It's coming back to who you are, not only by sitting and thinking, but by praying and by connecting to Hashem and also by improving our relationships with others. Tzedakah. Giving, doing the right thing, finding our place in the world, understanding it's not just about me. It's not just about me and Hashem. <coughs> However, the style or the approach was a very serious one. The serious approach called Kav Hayira, an approach of all. The majesty of God, the presence of God, the understanding that things are really so much bigger than we are, feeling small and insignificant, feeling heartbroken and contrite at the things that we messed up, 
But after Yom Kippur, we move into an entire different headspace. And that headspace is called the headspace of simcha, of joy. And joy is where we are now. Joy is where we're pleased God, going to achieve higher levels even than we were able to achieve when we focused on ourselves. Higher levels even than the serious stuff brought us to. And the question is, what are the mitzvot of this time and how do they help us to actually attain the goal of this time? It's not that we will no longer look at ourselves and it's not that Teshuvah doesn't include strengthening our relationship with Hashem and with others. But we do it differently. Now, instead of doing it so seriously, we do it with joy. And the question is, can you instruct someone to be joyful? Can you instruct someone to do or feel an emotion? Can you tell someone, love so-and-so? Can you tell someone, just be happy? And obviously, if Torah calls this time, the time of our joy, it must be possible. If Hashem says, be happy on your festival, it is possible. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. Amashi, a good nerve Shabbos, a good nerve Yontif, when a good year. We are in the seventh month of the year. The number seven is a very significant month in that that is the month that is the fullest of all the festivals. That is the month that not only is full, but fills the entire year. The word Sheva, seven, also shares a root with the word Sova, satiated. It is satiated with the vast spectrum, the entire spectrum of the human being's expression, introspection, and joy, and forgiveness, prayer, and reconnection with Hashem and with others, you name it, it's there. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is Chai FM, the station that cares. And we are in the month where we clearly see how much Hashem not only cares, but takes care. And we're going to examine that today. Because when we know that Hashem is taking care of us, it leads us to be besimcha. We're taken care of. We're secure. We're not afraid. We feel comfortable. We feel surrounded by protection. And there's a tremendous sense that a child feels in the home of a parent when he or she knows my food will be there. I just have to 
wake up in the morning, my clothes will be there, my food will be there. My mother will close the windows at night. My mother will open the curtains in the morning. My mother will lock the door at night. My mother is here. I have nothing to worry about. And in a sense, that's what Sukkot comes to teach us. And it's a message that we will carry with us into the year. What is the Sukkah? Why are we leaving our homes and look at this weather? Why would we go outside into the elements? What is the purpose? Why sukkah? In the Torah it says, you shall sit in the sukkah for seven days because I caused the Jewish people to dwell in sukkahs when they traveled in the desert. What does that mean? Did they have little huts, little booths? Schach on top? No. What they had were clouds of glory. What they had was God's protection. What we had then, we continue to have now. Something invisible. There it looked like something flimsy. But it took care of every one of their needs. It's the presence of Hashem. And moving out into the sukkah at this time of year is a tremendously powerful act that brings trust and it brings joy. <clears throat> what do we need to do? We need to do something in life that shows our trust, that shows that we rely on Hashem. It's not about having a great insurance package. It's not about having great stocks. It's not about having money in the bank. It's not about having a backup system in every single area. Of course, when we have those things, it should be there for one reason. And that is that we are so grateful to Hashem we know it comes from him, not from our being such a chochem. And that we plow our energies. We're not worried. Everything's taken care of. And we see it clearly. Plow our energies into the reason we're in this world. And that is mitzvot. Torah and mitzvot. It seems so almost like stuff you tell kids in a cheder, in a Hebrew school. But it is so powerful, so basic, so intrinsic to who we are and why we are in this world. We are in this world as God's emissaries to bring light, to bring his light, to bring his will. And they are all in Torah and mitzvot. But it's hidden. To give a coin to a poor man, to make a donation, to be warm and friendly, to take care of a poor bride, to honor parents, to be kind and generous, goodness, kindness, to pray, to study, to educate our children, to care about others. It's an amazing thing. 
those seemingly simple acts actually contain the highest level of godliness. We have a rule. The simpler something looks, the lower the manifestation, the higher the source. And Hashem, in His great kindness, has actually created a situation where we deal in gold and diamonds. We deal in platinum. We deal, when we do a mitzvah, in things that are beyond value. And we don't even realize they are at hand. Wherever we look, the stage is set. And that's what brings us the greatest joy because that is true to who we really are. During this time, entering a sukkah with its flimsy walls reminds us that we are not in charge. Reminds us that it is God's love and protection that constantly looks after us. It reminds us that we are never alone. It reminds us that we have the absolute best of absolutely everything. Wouldn't that make you happy? Pig and Pay Hiker Norwood. They have the following special, valid until, well, sounds like today, 2nd of October. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. What is it about a sukkah that means so much? When the Torah tells us we're obligated to live in the sukkah, living means moving in. It means the things we normally do on a day-to-day basis, do them in the sukkah. And unlike other mitzvahs, which have to do with a particular part of the body, the sukkah envelops us from head to toe. The sukkah involves the entire person. And during sukkot, even the ordinary, the mundane, like eating, are done in the sukkah. And so every time we're just living, but we're doing it in the sukkah, we're actually fulfilling a mitzvah. What is the focus of all this? <clears throat> actually, living, and living correctly, the ordinary things we do, relationships between husband and wife, family, friends, eating, reading, studying, whatever we're doing, and we're doing it in the sukkah, it becomes a mitzvah to highlight that life is not about, and Yiddishkeit is not about Friday night, Pesach Seder, first night Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Yiddishkeit is every single minute of every single day. Of course, those highlights, those wonderful times, add life to the rest. But our job is to make this world, our lives, every interaction, a dwelling place for Hashem. 
You know, a home is a basic human need. Main thing, of course, that a person should have food, and then he should have clothing, and he should have shelter. But besides just having shelter, it is a sign of rulership, of mastery over the physical world. That's why when you have a home, it can be and should be a vital component of fulfilling our godly mission to make this world a dwelling place for God. This world, the way we live, must be God's home. Each and every one of us, no matter who we are, has a home. Where do we live? Where do we spend our time? And what sort of atmosphere do we create in our little space? And even when we're not at home, it gives us security to know that we have a place to go back to. Even if, God forbid, a person doesn't have a home, but they make themselves a little shelter somewhere, that place becomes associated with, connected with who I am. And at the same time, as mentioned before, our sukkah is not a permanent home, and it cannot be. A kosher sukkah cannot have a roof. A kosher sukkah cannot be very high. It's about the understanding that living in this world, relationships, the food, the clothing, the shelter are all temporary. The seven days of Sukkot correspond to the 70 years, as it were, of man living in this world. Living in a Sukkot needs to remind us that life is temporary. Life is transient. We need to understand it's not about what we do, it's about who we are. We will always be who we are. The soul, before it comes into this world, as it journeys through this world, continuing on afterwards, and coming back with the advent of the era of Mashiach. We cannot identify ourselves by what we have and what we do. <clears throat> Our greatest claim to fame is how we relate to ourselves, to Hashem, and to others. And the sukkah reminds us of that. It's not about my possessions. It's not about my house. It's not about my car. It's not about my clothes. It's really about me and Hashem. And what does Hashem want of me? Here comes the sukkah. The sukkah is this incredible mitzvah. And it's the only mitzvah that not only you do with your entire body, but the Baal Shem Tov said, I love the mitzvah of sukkah most of all, because a person can enter it with his whole body, even with the mud sticking to the soles of his boots. In other words, if the walls of the sukkah represent God and his protection, the clouds of glory, we are accepted no matter who we are, no matter what we bring, 
and we enter completely into the mitzvah. And it reminds us that each and every one of us can do the mitzvahs of God, no matter the mud on the boots, no matter what we bring with us, no matter where we've been and what we've picked up there. And the sukkah elevates us. The other mitzvah that the festival of sukkahs is so well known for and is so intrinsic, it's a mitzvah from the Torah, is the mitzvah of the four kinds. And the four kinds, which is the lulav, the etrog, the hadasim, the aravot, they have symbolic interpretations as well. One of them is it represents the whole person, the lulav, the spine, the etrog, the heart, the myrtle, the hadas, the eyes, and the aravot, the willows, the lips. And we bring all these plants together to show that all of us, each one of us, and every aspect of our body comes together in perfect unity to serve God. And serving God is represented on Sukkot, by loving another person, by welcoming someone totally with the mud on his boots into your environment. Not so easy these days. <clears throat> Nevertheless, let's remember that these four kinds, if one of them is missing, the entire mitzvah is incomplete. And we know that each one represents a person at a different station in life or that has a different mission in life. The lulav, which is the tallest. The etrog, which is the fragrant one, and the one you hold in your hand. And the branches that are on the side, each one represents another type of Jew. The etrog, which has a fragrance as well as the taste, it can be eaten, represents the smell and the taste represent two things. The smell represents doing mitzvot. The taste represents understanding, study of Torah. There are those who have both. The palm has no smell, but it has to be a date palm, so there's a taste. The myrtle has a wonderful smell. The willow has neither smell nor taste. So there are some of us who can study and do mitzvahs. Others who only study, that's the main thing they do. Others who by and large only do mitzvot and don't have that much Torah knowledge. And some who don't yet express themselves in either. But without even the myrtle, even the willow, the mitzvah is incomplete. This is a yontif of gathering, in gathering, in gathering the harvest and unity. Yes, there was unity on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We said, Ovinu, Malkeinu, our father, our king. Even when we asked for forgiveness, we didn't say, I sinned. We said, Oshamnu, we sinned. But now we have the ability to rise above and to experience something called Simcha. How? does one access that wonderful feeling of simcha? How can Hashem instruct us 
be happy. So let's look. Going into the sukkah means we trust Hashem. We feel safe. These are not thick walls. This is not with a padlock on the door. It doesn't even have a roof. It's like out in the field, out in the elements. And yet we sit there, we eat, we celebrate, we sing, we enjoy. We have to work at our trust in Hashem. We have to step into the sukkah. We have to step into the seeming flimsy protection, which basically means it's not about after I'll have a big insurance policy, I'll be happy. And after I have a lot of money in the bank, I'll feel secure. And after I have a big house with big gates around and barbed wire and dogs to guard and, and many security companies, then I'll be able to sleep at night. Not at all. This is a lesson in who really runs the world. This is a lesson in saying, my work is to trust Hashem. And that's called emuna. Although we all have emuna, the word emuna from the word uman, which means a craftsman, nobody becomes expert in his area of expertise, as it were, without practicing. We have to practice our faith. How do you practice your faith? Just do it. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Push away the doubts and do it. And when we exercise our emuna through action, we come to something called bitachon, trust. It's a wonderful thing. And when you trust, you are happy. That leads to simcha. Why? Because you know who's in charge. You know what's there rather than what's missing. And what's there is Avinu Malkeinu. These clouds of glory, these flimsy walls, are what God instructed us to do. He will protect us. He does protect us. It's not a matter of looking. I'm so small. I'm so unlearned. I'm so poor. I'm so uneducated. See what's there. Instead of saying, if only I was this, if only I had that, if only I could do this, if only I knew that, then I would be happy. You are God's child. He's taking care of you. And the point is that he knows best. The reason that I am not, the reason that I don't have that, the reason that I can't do that, the reason I don't know that, might just be God's plan so that I am open to be able to do other things. The sukkah, emuna, you just do it. You build those flimsy walls and that's where you live. That's the mitzvah. Just do the mitzvah. The beautiful thing is, the mitzvah brings trust, bitachon. And when you trust that you're well taken care of, wow, there's this tremendous sense of simcha. False senses of security were and continue to threaten our lives in this world. And here comes COVID-19 to say, it's not like that. Full sense of security waste our time, 
our energy, our emotions. And so we have another teaching, and that is Simcha Poretz Geder. Joy breaks down barriers. But the word Poretz is smash through. Start living now. All this overthinking, over-planning, over-worrying. Simcha is life. Simcha, joy. And we've got to do it right now. And so we get a mitzvah constantly to serve God with joy. But amazingly, there is a time when joy is in the air with extra energy, and that's now. And we can harness that joy through what? Through mitzvahs, through the mitzvah of sukkah. Through bringing the four kinds together. So we are united within, being whole, entering the sukkah, even with the mud on our shoes. <coughs> this fragmentation that we experience, perhaps, in the month of Elul, where we had to look at ourselves and say, who am I? What am I doing here? And it was a time of thinking, as well as doing. But now... It's a time, Chag HaAsif, to gather in the harvest. To harvest what we have worked on, what we have planted in the month of Elul, through Yom Kippur. And we have brought ourselves together. We have brought people together. We have given. We have looked in the inside. We have reached upward. We have reached outward. Now it's time, V'samachta B'chagecha, this is your yontif. This is your celebration. Not just God-given. We are celebrating the ingathering of our hard work in the month of Elul, beginning of Tishrei. And it's an incredible thing. We can actually reach heights where we go beyond understanding. And this is the time that has been given to us by Hashem for exactly that. It's an amazing thing. Hashem has designed the world around us. And month seven has to do with the seven attributes of the human being. And in addition, connected to seven heroes, seven people in our history who have inspired and continue to do so. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. There are seven guests who visit the Sukkah daily during the week of the Yontif. And these are the historic role models of our nation. Tonight will be Avraham Avinu, Abraham. Abraham, who was unique, that nobody else in the world thought like he did. And yet, he took courage with great joy, energy, and passion. And look where we are today. Abraham, who taught monotheism into a pagan world. Tonight, he will come to our sukkah and celebrate with us. Tomorrow night will be Yitzchak, the second of the patriarchs, with his strength and his wisdom and his 
incredible taking the teachings of Abraham and developing them. And then the next night on Sunday, on Saturday, on Sunday night will be Yaakov, the patriarch Jacob, patriarch Jacob, who established the 12 tribes from whom we all come. And then we have Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph, who even in Egypt, which represented the absence of godliness, the the absolute physicality of the world and immorality of the world, he remained not only connected to Hashem, but the same as he was in his father's house. And so it goes to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher, Aharon HaKohen, and then David HaMelech, King David. We are not alone in the sukkah, despite the fact that we may not be able to invite guests. What an opportunity to focus on these guests and perhaps to choose stories, perhaps to choose things that will connect us even more to them and what they represented. So let's look at our world. Far beyond being a world that represents the presence of godliness in the world, we do see it now and again. It is a world that has always represented, but in our times, it's become worse and worse. And that is to care what other people say. That is to care if somebody will, else will say, wow, that's a beautiful dress. Wow, look at those shoes. That's an impressive car. Did you see where he works? Did you see where she shops? <clears throat> and all of this has been brought to a rather vulgar point through advertisement. Advertisement is a multi-trillion dollar business that sells us anything, and we, the gullible, fall for it. You must have this toothpaste. You must have this deodorant. With this, you'll be popular. With this, you'll be accepted. And the brainwashing, and that we fall for it even as observant Jews. We could never use that caterer. We would only go there on vacation, only have designer clothes. It's crept in. Oh, we go to that fancy restaurant. No, we've been there before. We want a new restaurant. We want a new vacation spot. And so advertisement. And advertisement also means being impressed and impressing. And that's so superficial. Who are we really? We're a soul from God. So I want to share a beautiful story. <clears throat> there was a young man who was shopping at a well-known etrog shop. And he found exactly what he was looking for. You know that an etrog can be the mitzvah of the year. You people spend a lot of money on an etrog. It represents a lot. And doing the mitzvah on a very, what's called mehuder dika esrig, an esrig of a high standard, is something that brings blessing. 
And so when a Jew does a mitzvah, he doesn't just want to do it at entrance level. He wants to excel at the mitzvah. He wants to beautify the mitzvah. This is why we have a beautiful Shabbos table, a lovely cover for our challah, lovely candlesticks on the table, Jewish things to beautify a mitzvah, the mitzvah of Shabbos, the mitzvah of Yontif, the mitzvah of a wedding, the mitzvah of a bar mitzvah. We do. And when it comes to Sukkot, there's something about a beautiful etrog. And there are many different markings, not only size and shape and cleanliness and so on and so forth, but different marks on the etrog indicate that it's a more mehuderdike esrog. And so the story goes that there was a young man shopping at in New York at an etrog shop, and he found exactly what he was looking for. I mean, it's not a shop. It's just people who import and people who, at that time of the year, deal in these things. This young man knew exactly that this was what he wanted, but he wasn't quite sure how he would come up with the money. It was $500. And those of us who haven't been exposed to the idea that you can pay a lot of money for an etrog might be saying, what? Did I hear correctly? But yes. And the the young man who was selling it, he agreed to put it aside for a few days to give the other young man a chance to get some money together. A week later, a very distinguished gentleman came to visit the store and again, this young salesman tried to help him find an etrog, but nothing was good enough. And the visitor kept saying, I'm sure you have more stock. And then the, the one who sold remembered that he did have the etrog he had put away. So he brought it out and he showed it to the man and immediately the man was satisfied. He agreed to the price. <coughs> But the salesman said, I first have to call that other young man and ask if he still wants it. And he made the call right there and then. But that other young man said, unfortunately, he still didn't have the money. And he said, but I'd really appreciate having one more day to try and find the money. And the visitor who was prepared to buy it on the spot wasn't happy to come back the next day. He wasn't happy with the runaround. But he was sure, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. I'm sure I'll get the etrog. And the store was now quiet, and there was only one more customer there. And he came over to the salesman, and he said, excuse me for prying, but I overheard your conversation, and I'm wondering, what is the price of this special etrog? And without balking, without turning a hair, he took out $500 in cash. He handed it over and he said, please call that young man and tell him his etrog is paid for. And then he had far less money left to buy his own etrog. And he had to put down the nicer ones he was sifting through and settle for a much simpler one. Let's think about that story. 
We're going to have a COVID Sukkot. And the story speaks to us. It speaks to us about what is real in this world. It's not about people will come and say, oh, you have such a beautiful sukkah. Look at the decorations. You cook such wonderful food. Look at the table settings. Oh, he's invited. I want to be there. She's invited. In 1954, the Rebbe said that with all the good that America has, there's also a major plague that we need to contend with. And he said it's the clipper. It's the the negativity of advertising and publicity. <clears throat> he said people are losing their gauge for doing the right thing just for the fact that it's right. Instead, they consider, are other people going to know about it? And that was 1954. Today, things that are external got so much value and the intrinsic value got lost completely. Like, if people don't know about it, it's like it didn't happen. If it wasn't shared, it didn't happen. If people didn't see it, it didn't happen. Even donations to build yeshivot, donations to a shul, donations to a hospital, it's like with a big plaque and a big picture of the person who donated the money. And our Yiddishkeit, our mitzvahs have been infected by this publicity and advertisement idea. Of course it's good for other people to know about the mitzvahs that others do. And so that they too will want to emulate it. But when our passion for doing the right thing is so strong and we want to share that joy with other people and infect them with the passion, not the sense of arrogance, then it's good. But if it's all about us, we've lost the message. Our Yiddishkeit has to be meaningful because the mitzvahs are meaningful. They are gold. We are privileged to do them. It's between us and Hashem. And if for Hashem, we want others to know about it, so they too will see the beauty and they too will claim what is intrinsically theirs, that's incredible. But one of the blessings of this coronavirus time, perhaps, is this chance to re-examine this aspect of our lives. We see big events, weddings, parties, milestone celebrations. They have to be celebrated now differently. It's not about the flowers, and it's not about the clothing, and it's not about the number of guests and what food was served and which hall it was held. And you know what? These celebrations, many of them, are beautiful. It's a different type of experience, a different taste, even if they're not so share-worthy. And it's also now. People will tell you how their Rosh Hashanah was, how their Yom Kippur was, that we were able to connect to Hashem on a personal level without the crowds, without the fanfare, 
we had to go within. <coughs> so the question is, how do we make a change? We're approaching Sukkot now. And one can think, if the shuls will be open, I'd better run and buy a new dress. If the shuls will be open, maybe I want to buy that big, beautiful etrog so everybody will ooh and ah. Or maybe, just maybe, we will be able to separate and see what the value of being able to show what the intrinsic value is and which part has escalated out of control that it's gripped us by the throat and that we no longer realize what a mitzvah is, for whom we do it. It's quite something. It really has crept in. In the past week, before Yom Kippur, we were studying about the word teshuva. And we said that every letter of the word teshuva represents another path to teshuva. Tmimos, sincerity, and awareness of God in his divine providence and loving the other. And seeing God in all our ways, etc. And finally, there was walk discreetly with God, your God. Let's do what's right because it's right. Not to gain applause or validation from someone else. Maybe the man who paid for the other man's etrog got an etrog that wasn't so shareworthy. It wasn't something that would earn him this applause and and this validation in the eyes of others. But to Hashem, it was priceless. Priceless indeed. And we have to realize that all our discreet deeds are being treasured by Hashem. He's gathering them up. He shows off with us. Not in the things that we necessarily do in the public eye. I gave a lot of money, therefore they made a big dinner for me discreetly. And so at this point, just to remember the very special Rabbi Tanzer Olavashalom, who was suddenly taken from us suddenly this week. A man who walked discreetly with Hashem. A man who built an empire here. A man to whom we all owe a tremendous debt of gratitude. He changed the face of Johannesburg and he changed the destiny of so many families, built a community, reached thousands and tens of thousands of people through the children in the school, through the shul, through the sheorim, so much. And no doubt, soon, soon, we will all be reunited with the coming of Mashiach. It's a lot to think about as we enter Sukkot, the time of our joy, and wish the family to be able to access as much joy as possible at this difficult time. Each and every one of us needs to do our part to walk discreetly with God, 
to fill our moments with as many mitzvahs as we can. Not because somebody's going to say, oh, he's such a nice guy. Oh, she's so kind. This is between us and Hashem. Building, giving, phoning, taking care, goodness, kindness, a smile. Each and every one of us can change the world. Each and every one of us, through joy, can break down our personal barriers, our personal inhibitions. Let us all think a little bit as to why we are in this world today and to understand that each one of us completes all of creation. I wish you all a good Shabbos. I wish you all that it truly be Zman Simchatenu and that through one more mitzvah we never know which one a simple one. There's no such thing as a simple one because they all contain the highest of the high of God's essence. One more mitzvah and Mashiach can be here. And then joy, revealed joy forever. The Chavez Gutiontev.